Right, let's get going. Grab a seat, everybody. Um, man, seriously, thanks for coming out tonight. I, uh, the lights are going to be a little bit off because uh, I was going to preach from up there, but just want to be, uh, want to be down here with you guys. Uh, um, everything that I say tonight, I want you to receive it, and I know, I know that, um, I know that I can't have an individual conversation with every single one of you right now. I really want to ask you to receive everything that I'll share tonight in love. Um, and so um, whatever it takes for you to, to, I know some of you guys don't even know me, and, and I get that, I understand that, uh, but I do love you, and I'm glad that you're here, okay? Um, the church is a funny place, really funny place. Um, I know many of you guys aren't old enough to remember this, but there used to be such a thing as church directories, okay? You guys remember? So I, 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 found, some, I found some interesting family church directory photos uh, here's one of them, um, you know, kind of the, the Olin Mills uh, fall foliage background, you know what I'm saying? Uh, looks 3D kind of, I guess. Um, then there's this really next, this next one that's interesting. And there was always the inevitable. Now, this, the story behind this is the, uh, the, the boy who's Darth Vader uh, is actually an atheist. And he told his parents that he would be in the church directory if he could dress as Darth Vader. So that's why he, he did that. Then I also found this one uh, from a church directory somewhere, uh, which is pretty, pretty sweet. Uh, the church is a funny place. Then, then there's the church signs, right? Um, so here's a, a pretty interesting one. Uh, hipster Jesus loved you before you were cool. Um, I'm, not, I'm not sure that Jesus was a hipster. I, I, don't, I, don't know how, I don't even know how he feels about that, right? I don't picture Jesus wearing a skinny cloak, you know. Um, next slide. Uh, I, this one is, is, feels weird. It's like. <laughs> don't, don't you want to be like the person that, that like, you know, like, well, how come, who comes up with this? Like. Who thinks in the right mind that this is a good idea, you know? Like, this is the message we want to communicate to a lost and dying world that in hell you will not be able to stop, drop, and roll. Like, who? who th- I appreciated the honesty of this next one. Uh, they said, uh, now's a good time to come visit. Our pastor is on vacation. Uh, <laughs> and then you think, like, is this real, right? Did someone just kind of do this as a trick, or is it... Um, it's kind of interesting. The church is a funny place, man. Um, what's cool about this room is uh, some of you guys have, your church experience is very long. Others of you, not so much. Um, many of you know my story. I've, I've spent my whole life in the church. Um, haven't, uh, haven't spent more than a couple weeks at a time away from it. And uh, I want to confess a lot of things tonight. I want to bring you into a lot of things tonight. Um, but I'll start by saying this. And I see this particularly in the generation that is, is really compiling this particular worship gathering, is we have very much devalued the church. You maybe have very much devalued the church. And um, it's actually one of the reasons why I felt called um, with a good friend of mine many years ago in 2005 to plant this church. Uh, we had uh, seen a pretty consistent devaluing of it. And um, we wanted to be a part of the movement that was restoring integrity to the, the bride of Christ. Or in other words, taking all the people thought about the church and trying to frame it 
live it, do it in a different way, that people could actually leave their experience and say, no, the church didn't burn me. Actually, the church encouraged me in all of their mess and all their chaos. And so um, what I want to do tonight is, is take you on a journey through the word about what the church is and, and, and maybe even on a deeper level, give us all a picture of how we can, from a fundamental standpoint, shift our, our mentality about it. Some of you guys think you're at a worship like conference or something. I think it's very easy at Matthias, like Wednesday night, you know, our band is ridiculous, um, you know, all the facets of it. It's like you come to a worship conference or something every week. That's not who we are. We're a part of the body of Christ, and, and tonight I want to I bring you into that. So is that cool? Can we take that journey tonight? And I'm going to be vulnerable, and, and you know, we, man, we may even have some interaction tonight and kind of see how this goes, okay? So let me pray for us, and we'll, uh, we'll go to it. Uh, Father, I, I would ask that through your scripture um, that you really teach us uh, about your body, about the church, about how it works, about how we're a part of it. And so all the, all the things that we think it is, I pray right now that you'll, uh, you'll give us a really solid picture um, of who you are and what you're doing, Lord. Um, so we pray all this in your name, God, for your glory. Amen. So open your Bibles to Colossians chapter 1, if you can. Um, we started the book of Colossians, the letter to the church in Colossae, uh, many weeks ago. I want to show you and start where we began um, last week in verse 15 of Colossians 1. Here's what we studied last week. He is Jesus, the image of the invisible God. He came in the flesh incarnate, came to the world and shows us uh, who God is, what, he, uh, what his character is, how he lives. He's also the firstborn of all creation. That doesn't mean that, that Jesus was a created being. Uh, we taught last week that being the firstborn of all creation means that Jesus is um, inherently the, the first in place, or the first in standing, or he sits at the highest place of inheritance. Verse 16, for by him, Jesus, all things were created, which I think was a shift for some of you, learning that maybe uh, in the, the Trinitarian uh, point of view that God is the architect and Jesus carries out creation. By him, Jesus, all things were created in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities, all things were created through Jesus and for the glory of God, okay? Beautiful text. And finally, verse 17, and he is before all things, and in him all things hold together. I proposed to you at the end last week, uh, the word that we use often is this word like chaos. And I just said, I'm not so sure that, I, that your perceived chaos is ever really chaotic because he's holding it all together. If he's not, then I understand. But if he is, then is the chaos that you think you're in, is it really falling all apart? If he's holding it all in his hands, then I think not. So here's where we're going to pick up. Verse 18, we're going to read all of it and then break it down. And he is the head of the body, the church. He is the beginning, the firstborn from the dead, that in everything he might be preeminent. And let's just go ahead and agree, the firstborn from the dead. Very strange verse. Seems like it should be Halloween or something. Verse 19, for in him all the fullness of God was pleased to dwell and through him to reconcile to himself all things whether on earth or in heaven, making peace by the blood of his cross. No big deal, right? Pretty lighthearted, not heavy text at all. Well, let's start breaking it down here in verse 18. He is the head of the body, the church. Now, a ton of interesting things that we need to wrestle with. We're going to kind of hang here for 
quite a while. So next slide, let's start here. This is what Google Images pulls up when you type in church. Really, really interesting, isn't it? Every single image, when you type in on Google Images church, every single image is a building. Well, that's certainly my experience growing up, right? Um, Mom and dad, hey, let's go to church. And the thing that I was thinking is the, like the, the building, the place that we're going to. And why wouldn't I? Like on the outside, it says first this of that, church, right? And, and so if, the, if the, like the sign says that, then, then certainly it, it should like go with that, right? Um, and then after church, like, you know, we would say like, so how was church? Which is a really weird question, right? So how was church? Well, like, what, what, what does that mean now? Like, as I start looking back on how we communicated about what the church is, it really became uh, kind of strange. Certainly, the belief was that it was brick and mortar. One of the things that we, like, drove home when we purchased this, this space, which, by the way, if you didn't know this, this was the old St. Charles Police Station, okay? So, like, back here in the back, there's, like, old cells. There's still bars in the windows. There were, like, six cells back here when we bought it. True story, Okay. It had been vacant for seven years. There were like animals, I mean, probably humans. It was like, it was crazy. Um, We emphasized when we moved in here that this is brick and mortar. That's why there's not like chandeliers hanging and, you know, there's not like all of a sudden like swooping in humans or, you know, it's just like, like this is brick and mortar and, and, and that's, that's what it is. Okay. Uh, We don't want to celebrate the material and then somehow through it negate uh, what the church actually is. Funny enough, uh, at a previous um, place that, that I worshipped, uh, people would give money to make the facility, right? And then they would put their name on a gold plate in the, in the foyer, right? And, and at first when I saw that, I was like, okay, this, this is an interesting approach, right? Like, let's, let, you know, okay, this person gave 20 large, uh, you know, maybe, maybe they're deserving of the gold plate, but the more that I thought about it, I was like, man, we're like, we're celebrating the gifts of man to make some ornate thing that on Google Images, isn't it interesting to everyone that, that every image isn't like, you know, this thing that you learned when you were a kid, maybe, like it's not the building, but it's the, the phalanges, okay? So, so, so when in scripture is the first time that we see the word church? Uh, cue the next slide. This is from Matthew chapter 16. First time ever in the Bible. And I tell you, Jesus is talking, you are Peter, which I love Jesus saying the obvious, right? He's talking to Peter. He's reminding him, you're Peter, okay? And I tell you, you are Peter. Look at this. And on this rock, I will build, for the very first time in the scripture, my church. Really interesting moment, right? Never see the word in the Old Testament? Okay, we have some premise of the base root of the Hebrew words in the Old Testament that have similar meanings, but never this word, okay? On Peter, on him, I'm going to build my church, Jesus says. And I love, this is the very first time we see the word church. And the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. And somebody better be getting a little bit excited up in here, right? I'm going to build my church, says Jesus, and the gates of hell will not prevail against it. Like, don't you just picture Jesus, like, all of a sudden, like, you know, swinging the right hook. And just, you know, and Peter's, like, starting to slow clap, you know. And the disciples are getting, like, the gates of hell will not prevail. I'm excited about it, all right? So... What is this word church then? Okay, here's uh, the, uh, the, the view of ekklesia. That's the word. It gives you a picture of the word in Greek. Here's your next tat. Here's what it means, okay? An assembly of Christians. The whole body of Christians scattered throughout the earth. Um, so it's not, 
It's not brick and mortar. Uh, just because a sciences church doesn't make it that. It's the assembly, the gathering of people who believe in Jesus. And the amazing thing is that when we travel to Ecuador, though there is a language barrier, we always celebrate the fact that we're worshiping with the ecclesia. We're worshiping with the church. They speak in Espanol. We, well, I do. I speak in Spanish fluently from El Magüe, right? You know everything about Spanish if you ever have gone to El Magüe and can read the menu. You know what I'm saying? Especially if you can say con queso. That cheese sauce, amen? It's like, it's straight from the Lord, isn't it? I don't know where they get it or how they make it, but I'm pretty sure Jesus has touched it, you know? Um, even though they speak Spanish and, and we speak a di- different language, somehow magically through the spirit, like we're connected in the body of Christ. I would say that about our missionaries that we have sent out, the, the John's family in China. Like somehow through the spirit, they're a part of the body of Christ. They're a part of the church. Um, That's why we have this weird connection when you meet in a grocery store a a person and you soon find out that they're a believer. It's like all of a sudden right there in in aisle six in the cereal aisle, even though you've never spent any time with them, you find out that they're a believer and you guys just have this moment where you like look at one another like, you're like, oh, right on, man. And like, right, like right there in aisle six, the church exists. Isn't that crazy? It's It's one of the only transcendent things in, uh, in and under Christ that we get to share in that way. It's beautiful. It's beautiful. So that's the biblical understanding of ecclesia. Next slide. Now, here's how Pastor Jeff Vanderstelt, which doesn't mean anything to you necessarily. He's a, a small group revolutionist in, uh, in our nation. He's actually going to be here to speak here in a couple uh, weeks on a Saturday at a conference that we're hosting. Pretty cool. Here's what he says the church is. The church is the re- regenerate people of God, saved by the power of God, for the purposes of God in this world. So the gathering, the assembly of the people of God that are gathered to learn more about who God is so that then they can be sent out and represent God. Beautiful, beautiful stuff. Next slide. All right, so here's what um, here's one of the, the New Testament shows what the church is doing. I want you to be encouraged by this. Okay, Philemon, not a stake, but a book of the Bible. Paul, a prisoner of Christ Jesus, and Timothy, our brother, to Philemon, our beloved fellow worker, look at this, and Aphelia, our sister, and Archippus, our fellow soldier, and the church what? In your what? Come on. In your house. Grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. There's four times in the New Testament that this happens. Here's another, just to encourage you, from Romans chapter 16. Greet Prissa and Aquila, my fellow workers in Christ Jesus, says Paul, who risked their necks for my life. I love the language to whom not only I give thanks, but all the churches of the Gentiles give thanks as well. Greet also the church in what? In their house. So you may know uh, that when we planted this church, we decided that um, based on God's call and vision, that we were going to meet on Wednesday night here corporately, um, and that on Sundays we would meet in homes. And we caught a lot of ridicule from that, a lot of flack from that. People, you know, said it was cultish and you know, we're wondering if we were killing children or sacrificing animals. We guaranteed them that we weren't. Um, but what's unbelievable is my kids now grow up um, saying, hey, Daddy, the church is coming over today on Sunday. So they're not like, hey, um, we're going somewhere. Or like they really understand that the church is the people and that our house all of a sudden becomes an assembly place of the church. 
Like every time you go, for those of you that are connected to a lot family, like imagine that. Like you're walking in and there's no significance to the home. The significance is the group of people that are gathered around one common worship focus around the person of, of Christ. It's beautiful, isn't it? Like I, I can't wait to see how differently our children are from the way that, that, that I learned. Like I, ha- I have to believe that by the grace of God, they will understand this living organism in a very different way. That's why I want to show you guys this uh, next slide. When you, when you think of the word church, ecclesia, okay, when you process it, when you think through it, what comes to mind? If all of a sudden I gave you a little index card and a handy-dandy pen, a pilot, preferably, okay? And I was to say, write down everything that comes to mind when you hear the word church. My guess is some of you guys would write things like this. Abuse, pain, isolation, judgment, fatigue, maybe guilt, rules, and hypocrisy. Um, So I was a youth pastor and... um, Man, great, great things were happening in our, in our community and praising God. And uh, one day this, this elder walked in my office and other elders were behind the wall and kind of watching. And uh, I had some students in the room and he, I was standing up and he put his finger in my chest and he, he pushed me and he said, sit down, boy. And so I, you know, I sat down and then he, in front of my students, in front of other elders, he just, just yelled at me. I mean, called me names. Um, all of these things were like in error. I hadn't, hadn't done these things that he was saying. He was saying like, because of how excited I am about Jesus, that I was distracting people from Jesus was essentially his, his you know, commendation. And so I sat there like in just everything in me, honestly wanted to tackle him through the wall. And I was a football player and probably decently capable of doing so. And now kind of wishing I would have in my flesh, hurt him, you know what I'm saying? But in that moment, I was like, if this, if this is the church, you know, some of you guys have heard my story about um, the, in the first week of being uh, a youth pastor when I was 18, I got in this massive argument with the puppet leader um, at my church who was like 75. And she literally, she cussed me. The 75-year-old woman like cussed in front of students all around puppets it was really weird, you know. Um, and, and I remember in that moment saying, saying like, if this is the church, uh, there were many moments uh, in my uh, being a teenager and seeing the church act in certain ways. And I was like, I, I want nothing to do with that. And um, my guess is, is that some of you are there too. Um, if you're not affected when you hear about kids who are abused, in the confines of church. Um, Some of the greatest, most heinous abuses have happened under the premise of church. Some of you have been more judged within the confines of church than anywhere else. Some of you have been so driven to fatigue, to serve out of guilt within the confines of the church more than anywhere else. Like some of you, it's, and and there's some blanks there that you would be like, and actually it's this and, and this and this too. On the flip side, some of you have this experience. Tremendous amounts of joy. 
community, like being able to share in relationships and having this, this uh, atmosphere where you can uh, flourish and, and grow. Uh, some of you have experienced deep amounts of forgiveness that, I mean, you couldn't have even dreamed, both interpersonally and what comes from the Lord. Beautiful stuff. Uh, um, learning self-sacrifice and, and swallowing your pride and, and serving genuinely. Uh, some of you have this sense of family. Um, it's, it's one of the reasons why we call our small groups here lot families. Listen, it would be way easier. Let's just go ahead and agree. It would be way easier to start like the college group lot family, okay, or the young singles and not in school and studying psychology lot family. You know, like, like if, we just, if we just, you know, make them so uh, like everyone else, it would be really, really easy because you're gathering them with people who are all in the same season of life. That's not a family. Like when I married my wife and we had kids, we were in very different seasons of life. You see what I'm saying? Like my wife and I were in a season, my littlest was in a season, and they were now creating a pretty interesting season for us, right? Like so th- there was this whole mix. That's, that's what a family is. And I grew up, listen to this, I grew up on a, um, going to my grandpa's farm after church. And it was beautiful because like all of my cousins were there and Grandpa Bernie was there and Grandma Nelly was cooking some mean chocolate sheet cake, right? And, and we, were, we were just enjoying family. It was messy, Okay, if you've got family, you know the family is messy, but it was family nonetheless. That's why we call them law families here, because we, we don't want just college students. We want, we want you guys, the young professionals here, the, the family members here, to be in a law family that's like, you know, zero to 65, zero to 80, zero to 85, because then you can learn and grow and hear different experiences. That's been some of your experience. Some of you have learned to worship here. I mean, how couldn't you? You know, I, I celebrate him all the time. But Brandon is by far the most genuine, sincere, doctrinally sound, and best musician, I believe, like anywhere that I've ever seen. And he's taught me worship and how to worship God in genuineness and with right doctrine and the crew that, I mean, how couldn't you learn that here? What a beautiful thing. Some of you have grown in uh, past experiences of church or here, and, and some of you, tremendous freedom. So the question becomes this next slide. Then how can I thrive when I'm actually experiencing a lot of both of those things. Because the reality is like, it's really not one or the other. For most of you, it's probably not just one of those lists or the other list. There's probably a mixture, right? There's like, there's this one memory in the back of your mind, maybe like me with that elder, where you're like, that was insanely hurtful and still gives me shivers. Okay, did I just say shivers? Is that, a, okay, I don't know if that, okay. Shakes. Whatever, okay? And then on the other side, you're experiencing joy and hope and family. So the question then is, how can you thrive in the church when this is the reality? Okay? The scripture will help us answer this. Next slide. In Ephesians chapter 5, here's how the scripture defines the church. For the husband is the head of the wife. In a discussion about husbands and wives and how they interact, look at this. As Christ is the head of the church, his body, and is himself its savior. Um, God often throws us an incredible bone. Here's how he does it, okay? He's like, okay, how can I help people understand the living organism of the church? I got it. Um, I'll use the body as a metaphor. They, They get the body. They understand it. They live in it. Here's what we're going to do. 
We're going to communicate the reality that Christ is the head of it and that they make up the body of Christ. And maybe, just maybe, in understanding the body themselves, then they will get the certain facets of uh, the body of Christ. Colossians 1 affirms what Ephesians 5 says. Next slide. And he is, what we're studying tonight, the head of the body. Now, here for me is the massive transformation, uh, transformational shift in my heart. And it all starts with a, a, a weird image. Okay, next slide. Um, it's not Halloween, but here we go. Uh, now, I don't know much about, um, and I don't know, what, what would be like the scientific bodily terms? Anatomy? Did I get it right? Okay. One for ten, right? So, um, I don't know much about anatomy, but I do know, I do know this, that the head is a key component, okay? And we would even say maybe like the component. The head cannot be disconnected from the body. Um, and what I see and the greatest danger that I feel like we've adhered to, and this is really where I, I want, man, if, if, you're, if you haven't been here all night, like please come with me now. I really think that we've disconnected the head from the body. I really think in our um, understanding of the church, we have said, okay, here is Christ, and yes, he reigns supreme over the church, but he's not connected to the church. Like they're all not one and the same. But the problem is the scripture makes clear he is the head, he's connected. Like he's with it. So it makes these things really dangerous. Next slide. Um, I've heard people say, maybe I've said myself, maybe you've said, I hate the church. I've heard people say, maybe I've said myself, I don't need the church. I've heard people say, maybe I've said it myself, why is the church filled with hypocrites? And now all of a sudden, I see all those statements insanely differently. Here's, here's how. I hate the church. What am I saying? If the head can't be disconnected from the body, what am I saying when I say I hate the church? Could I go as far as to say I'm hating Jesus? Well, Mark, I, that seems unfair. I don't think so. And again, like, some of the heinous abuses that some of you have experienced or that others have experienced. I'm not saying that it would not in those moments be very easy to say, I hate the church. I just want you to understand maybe from a different perspective of what it is that you're communicating. Man, I hear a ton of people say, and, and maybe you've said this, I don't need the church. I can sit in my basement, listen to sermons. Like the church is my family, all those things. When you say, I don't need the church, I just want to make sure you understand what you're saying. Could we go as far as to say that, that you'd be communicating you don't need Jesus? I've never thought about things from that perspective before, and I've had to do a massive amount of, re of repenting in light of it. Why? Because I've said some things about the church. I mean, I've called the church names. I have um, been very angry with the church. I have uh, been very hurt, broken, all of those things. 
and mostly, not even things that I've said, but, but things that I've felt or sensed or thought, is it possible that in my life I've disconnected those two things and in doing so, completely then misunderstood what the church is? If we do that, then here's my question. What is the world seeing? You see what I'm saying? If part of the reason, even for Matthias, why we planted this church was to show the world, maybe even better, show our community what church is, and yet, even at times, if we've disconnected the body from the head, is our city, our campuses, the people that we work with, are they seeing the rightful picture of the church? Now, there's all kinds of things that you're thinking about, and I hope even tonight as we go along that those things will be addressed because those statements prompt questions, don't they? Okay, so let's keep going. Let the questions marinate, and hopefully prayerfully tonight, We'll answer them. Next slide. Okay. Now, all of a sudden, we're back at Matthew chapter 16. And this is really, really encouraging at this point. Because who is Peter? Who is Peter? Who is he? What? What's that? He's the rock. But, like, let's just go super general. Who is he? He's a human. A human. Okay. I have, at many places in my life, expected humans to be more than human. I have expected, though my own sin has at times gripped me, I have expected human beings and even those who participate in the church to be flawless. And yet the very first time in the scripture that we see the word church, what is it in reference to? Hey, Peter, I'm gonna build it on you. Now, he's not saying that like, the, you know, the church is here and then Peter and, you know, all these things. No, he, what, what he's pointing to is, like, you're going to be a disciple, an apostle. I'm going to send you out and you're going to tell people the power of the gospel. And outside of that, like, the, the assembly of the church is going to grow because people are going to hear about the message of the gospel and they're going to come uh, in relationship with me and then they're, through the Spirit, going to be connected. So that's how the church is going to grow. That's what he's saying. He's the head. But, but all of a sudden now I sit back and I'm like, I have expected the church to be flawless and perfect. I, I've expected the church to never harm me or never abuse me or never go against me or always do my family right. And then when they don't meet that expectation or don't act like Christians, even though I'm not at times either, then all of a sudden I disconnect head from body and I'll say anything in my heart about the church. The problem is when I do so, I'm defaming the Lord Jesus. And all of a sudden, like, I start to come around on this. And I start to look at a whole bunch of people that are, are either themselves or around people that are devaluing the church all over the place. So much so now that the church has just become what it can be for you. How it can make you feel. How it can caress you in your difficult times. Dude, it's so much more. Next slide. Check this out. If the church abuse of my past or the idolatrous view of the community of the church in the present dominate my views of the body of Christ, I will cut off the head of the body in my heart, namely Jesus. So it's not just, it's not just the hurt from the past. It's also an idolatrous, uh, idolatrous view of the church now. 
If you have unrealistic ideas about what the church should be for you or can be for you or even has become some euphoric experience for you, then what you've done is, in your heart, you've cut off the head from the body, and that is cutting off Christ from your church experience. What I want you to see now is absolutely impossible by definition. Cannot be done. Next slide. This verse goes on. I'll check this out. He's the head of the body of the church, and look at this. Because of that, He is the beginning, and now let's wrestle with this really weird statement, the firstborn from the dead. Like, this sounds like an amazing, like, Halloween parade float, right? It, like, comes out, and firstborn from the dead, and all of a sudden you got zombies and the walking dead's all over the place, and not that I've ever seen that amazing show, but but some of you maybe have, I've heard, seen that in our culture. Um, So here's what it means. The firstborn from the dead is Paul pointing to the power of the resurrection, uh, so, so just like he calls Jesus the firstborn of all creation, the, the word firstborn is an issue of rank. So now what he's saying is the firstborn of the dead, he's pointing to the power of the resurrection, that in all things, in Christ's resurrection, he will sit in the first place or uh, in the hierarchy of people in the place of honor. So that's what firstborn of the dead means. And then finally, just reigning in this idea that in everything the scripture is saying, he might be preeminent. He might be glorified. He might be exalted. He might be first. Okay. So all of this understanding of the church, and now all of a sudden we see this text. Check this out. Next slide. For in him, all the fullness of God was pleased to dwell. Okay. So when you guys go on a trip, um, I want to kind of classify a few different kinds of people here. Uh, how many of you are super light packers, okay? Like you, it's like a, a, a purse or a purse or a light suitcase, light packers, okay? So not many of us at all, okay? Um, I will share a funny story with you guys if you guys don't mind. Um, so Brandon and myself and a couple other guys, uh, we, we go on a ski trip here a few weeks ago, and we're all kind of gathering, and Brandon shows up with like, you know, the size of... Like a, two or three people could have fit in the suitcase, you know? And we're going to be gone for three or four days. And we're all like looking at it like, dude, seriously? And he goes, it's the only suitcase I got. But then I saw him open it, right? And he's like pulling out like kitchen sinks, you know? He's got like 17 different, you know, you know, layers of clothing. I'm just like, dude, are you serious? So who here is that kind of packer? Okay, yeah, like the bring everything. The, you're probably packing a, you know, a human in there, a pet or something, right? Um, Well, what's interesting, right, is it can go one way or the other. Like, if you light pack, the good thing is you travel light. So you don't have to check your bag at the airport. You're like in, you're out. You don't have to go to the the luggage carousel. If you pack too heavy, then you're, you you know, you at times can be a, you know, a kind of cumbersome to the rest of those that you travel with. Now, hold on to the metaphor here for a second. Listen to this. If Christ isn't fully God, okay, If, in other words, if God sends Jesus to earth packing lightly, then what happens is the understanding that Jesus has on this earth or more, what his death and resurrection mean, becomes too human. But because all of the fullness of God is not only dwelling in Jesus, but is pleased to dwell. In other words, God sends Jesus, or Jesus humbles himself and goes to earth with everything, every piece of who God is. Then that means on the cross, he is feeling the full weight of not just sin, but listen, the understanding of sin. 
You see what I'm saying? There's a difference. Like, in other words, Jesus doesn't come to earth packing light. He, he comes with the fullness of the understanding of every facet of sin. So in him was the fullness of God pleased to dwell. That means Jesus is on this earth fully God and fully man. What I'm saying is he is rightly the head of the church. Now, here's what is so easy, and this is what I've done, okay? In 2002, there was this man named Rob Bell that started to surface, okay? Can I be really vulnerable, really vulnerable with you? I was young, formidable, excited about church. Rob Bell, he was like the new up-and-comer, okay? Planted a church in, in Grand Rapids, Michigan. He was cool. You know, he, man, he really talked nice. Uh, he was tall, you know, I mean, I, whatever. Like, he was just a cool dude. I started listening to him, okay? And pretty soon, like, everything in me wanted to be Rob Bell, like, this dude was, like, the pastor rock star. I was like, if only one day I could be Rob Bell, like, then, you know? And even a part of the story of Matthias, one day I emailed him, and he, you know, he called me and invited me up. I mean, he was a pastor of a massive church. We went and hung out with him, all that kind of stuff. Now, listen, now Rob Bell travels with Oprah, if that tells you anything, okay? He is so insanely heretical now. Like, after years and years and years, this man that I once idolized now all of a sudden is traveling with Oprah, is her spiritual advisor, if that tells you anything. If you're not, in, you know, getting the inference, that's insanely horrible, okay? Like, I never want to be associated with Oprah and spirituality, if that makes sense, all right? But I exalted this man. And what happens is when you exalt man in any form or any fashion, what you're, wait, you're waiting with a stopwatch until he falls, so the problem is, if you ever exalt him, if you ever lift any man up in your life and say, if, I, if only I could be this, or if only in leadership, like all of a sudden I could follow this kind of thing, then one day. That's why this passage is so powerful. Jesus is different. Like I put all my eggs at times in Rob Bell's basket, right? And that didn't go so well for me. But in the fullness of God, the, uh, the, the fullness of God was pleased to dwell in Jesus. And that means everything that Jesus is, I can go all in and he will never, ever, ever uh, cause doubt in my heart. Or he will never, ever steer me in a direction uh, in, in his shepherding that will uh, lead me uh, awry. Here's what First Peter says about it. Check this out, okay? In First Peter chapter 5. So I exhort the elders among you. This is talking about pastors of churches. As a fellow elder and a witness of the suffering of Christ, as well as a partaker in the glory that is going to be uh, revealed. Look at this. Shepherd the flock of God that is among you. That's our call here. We're not to be as man exalted in any way. God has called us as shepherds and pastors uh, and leaders to, to lead this church and to guide the church and to preach the gospel to the church. Recognizing that we're failed and flawed. Listen, if you haven't been here for like more than a week or two, guaranteed you've heard me confess sin. Pretty consistently. Like there's nothing about me, Brandon, Jared, any of the guys here, Lonnie, Pastor Jeff. There's nothing about any of those guys that is perfect. Far from it. That's why one of the greatest facets, I believe, of humble leadership is the consistency of hearing the need for Jesus. But at the same time, even though we, all, we are failed and flawed, we are called to shepherd the church. And verse 2 points to that. Shepherd the flock of God that is among you, exercising oversight, not under compulsion, but willingly, not because you've been taught to or told to, but because God's called you as God would have you, not for shameful gain or for the dollar or, or because it gives you a, you know, a perceived easy job, which is far from that, but eagerly, 
Not domineering over those in your charge, but being examples of the flock. Check this out, verse 4. And when the chief shepherd appears, you will receive the unfading crown of glory. The fullness of God was pleased to dwell in what? The chief shepherd, who is what? The head of the church. That's why if you've ever come here and you're wondering, like, why do these people, again, talk about Jesus so much? It's because he's the unfailing head of the church. He's a great pastor. He's an unbelievable shepherd. He's the one that is to be exalted. He preaches the best sermons. He, he, he heals and shows himself in the best way possible. Like, he is the chief shepherd. All of the rest of us are under shepherds, failed and flawed, but still part of the body of Christ. And the body has many members. And let's uh, hang there for just one second. Some of you feel as if you're incredibly insignificant. If you're a part of the body, maybe you would feel like you're the ingrown toenail. Have you ever had one? Not fun, right? And slightly gross, right? Um, or, or maybe some of you feel like, like, look, I, it'd be way better to be a shoulder, you know, but I'm like the pinky toe or something. But the thing about the body is, is every piece, as 1 Corinthians 12 talks about, like every piece has a role. And the amazing thing about all of it is every piece that has a role gets to sit under the shepherding and oversight of the chief shepherd. Does that make sense? So let me, let me say it this way. And let me make sure you guys understand that I'm saying this out of love. When you demean your role in the body of Christ, you're demeaning the head of the body of Christ. When you say I can't be used, when you say I'm insignificant, when you say my gifts, blah, 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 what you're saying is Jesus isn't empowering enough isn't leading enough, isn't a good shepherd enough to take you as a part of his body and guide you into self-sacrificial service for his glory. Does that make sense? So if you go against that, though it seems like in your heart you're, you're saying a humble thing, man, I just can't be used in the body of Christ, really what you're saying is he is not able to use me. No, no, he's the chief shepherd. He's a good shepherd. He says, my sheep hear my voice, and they know it's my voice. All of this has created in your heart this angst about what your role or what the role of the church is in our culture. Here's the problem. All of a sudden, uh, someone walks out of, out of an abortion clinic, and there they see, oh, yes, the person with a massive cross hanging from their neck, and on the sign it says, God hates those who abort. and the cross on their neck, and the WWJD bracelet, gets a little bit confusing then with this. And somehow, you and I, who would never hold a picket sign like that, get put in the same camp. And that's where I'm just confessing, I really struggle. Because I'm like, if I'm in the same camp from a from a visual or a visual standpoint with this person, then I struggle. So before we move any farther, here's how I've gotten to the place in my heart where I can move past it. God will judge. I cannot judge one person's salvation, not one. I used to do that. I don't anymore. Okay? You guys have heard me say when I do funerals, I'm never going to say, yep, they're in glory. I can't say that. It's not my power. It's not yours. Like, you, you just can't look at your friends and say, yep, for sure, Christian, for sure, 
Now, they themselves can be fully assured in Christ. Okay, we have promises of the scripture, but let's be clear. Every single one of us can be a poser. Every single one of us can say the right things and can do the right dance and can raise the right hands and can communicate the right scripture and in our heart, dead to Christ, right? And I would even say some of us in this room are phenomenal actors and actresses. You've convinced yourself that it's real and in reality, your heart is very devoid from it. That's the problem. So I let God judge and then now I'm freed to play my part along with the body of Christ, whoever that may be, in really representing him well. Does that make sense? And the power of that is in this next uh, uh, slide. Verse 20. Here's the church. And through him, Jesus, to reconcile to himself all things. Now, this word reconcile is ridiculous. Here's why. It's in the word reconcile that gives us, every single one of us in the church, purpose. Here's what the word reconcile means. Uh, next slide. And unfortunately, Jared's not here to pronounce this word. I'm going to give it, I'm gonna give it a stab. Apakatalasowa. Uh, See. Is that right? Did I do? Keith, did I do good? You went to seminary? Huh? Good, good shot. Okay. Let me try it again. Can I give it another go? Apakatalasowa. Better? Okay, cool. <laughs> Better the first time. Um, but I'm, I'm proud of myself that I actually copied and pasted the real Greek. Like the first, That's cool, right? Okay, cool. One out of ten. Not bad. Here we go. Okay, I didn't hear what you said, but praise the Lord. All right, here we go. Now, here's what the word reconcile means, okay? To bring back a former state of harmony or to change or exchange. Now, let me give you a relational example, and then we'll move on. I wronged a friend of mine uh, in the last week, and um, I misspoke, spoke out of turn, um, soon realized it, and uh, like knew right away like they should be angry at me about this. Maybe you've done this once or twice. So I called my friend. I said, hey, um, Here's what I said. I should not have said this. I'm not going to say if it hurts you, then I apologize. Because if you know anything about being on the other side, that means I'm not sorry. If you ever say, hey, if that affected you, I'm sorry, it means I'm not sorry. So instead of saying if it affected you, I shouldn't have said that. I take responsibility. I'm sorry. And what happens in that moment is, is she says, look, no big, you know, no big deal. It's all good. I, I understand but in that moment, like, there's just this, this amazing thing that happens between believers where, like, this relationship that was broken all of a sudden is reconciled, is brought back together. And now maybe it was, you know, just my perception or whatever, but the beauty, come on, the beauty of forgiveness, the beauty of grace. Why? Because it's so anti-world, Right? I mean, the world, if you cut off someone in traffic, I mean, the world says, I'm going to hunt you and your children down, right? Yeah, I'm going to bring the guns a-blazing. And just because, you know, you like, you roll that stop sign a little bit, like, I'm going to get me and my boys, and we're going to show up with some sawed-off shotguns, and your pets don't have a chance. Like, that, that's what the world says. And listen, when we look like that, 
when that's the way we live, we're living as those who have not been reconciled to God. So here's the problem. Sin enters the world. And what happens is, is it breaks this harmony between man and God. The harmony was there. It was there in the garden. It was beautiful. Okay? Two humans, both were naked, as Lonnie would say. All right? And there was harmony with God. They eat the fruit in sin, listen to Satan over the Lord's promise, and it breaks this accord. And so what starts to happen then is God unfolds his plan of redemption, or in this case, his plan of reconciliation to bring this thing back. Now, I want to make this statement before we go any farther. Listen, please hear this. We would not have reconciliation if God didn't want us to have it. In other words, he desires a reconciled relationship with us. Is that not crazy? Like what was broken for his glory, he wants to bring it back. He does not desire for you to sit in distance from him. Isn't that incredible? Like the God of the universe wants reconciled relationship. But the difference is, I go to my friend and I say, please forgive me. He looks at all of us and there's no way they can do it on their own. There's no way they can just say, hey God, please, you know, here, here we are. Can you make this right? There's no way. So then he sends Jesus. And Jesus humbly goes. And for his glory becomes our reconciliation. That's the difference between the way that we reconcile relationally and what he has done. Does that make sense? Now, next slide. I hope this brings some clarity, okay? The scripture says that what he's done is he's reconciled to himself all things. Hello. Now, does that mean that all people will be saved? Nope. Remember? Stop, uh, you know, stop, drive, and roll. Don't roll in, in hell, right? So some people are going to go to hell. And that's a reality. So does all things mean that, that Jesus saves everyone? No, it's only through Christ that people can have reconciliation with God. So what does reconciling all things mean? It means that Jesus' work on the cross was capable in three facets of the world to bring and restore all things. In other words, creation. Did you notice like in the garden there wasn't tornadoes? Like there wasn't storm chasers in the garden. You know what I'm saying? Right? And I love storm chasing. Anyone else? It's like my wildest dream just to go forever storm chasing. It would be incredible. Should we do like a field trip sometime? Picture like a big old yellow bus going storm chasing. Wouldn't that be awesome? We get caught in a tornado. Our pets' heads are flying off. It'd be awesome. Some of us go to glory. It'd be great, right? Okay? There's no tornadoes. There's no natural disasters in the garden. Why? Because everything is okay. Like everything's been made right. Everything is in harmony. Sin enters the world. And guess what? Like creation itself breaks. You guys see what I'm saying? Well, Satan himself is a fallen angel. So in the spiritual world, reconciling all things, that, that yes, even in the spiritual realm, Jesus is making all things right. Does that mean that Satan's going to be with God forever in heaven? Heck to the no. It doesn't mean that at all. Because it's only through Christ that reconciliation happens, and Satan will forever be flipping God off until in the end his head is finally stomped on. And in that true and final victory through Christ. Like, that's the image. But Jesus and his grace and what he does and what he accomplishes, his ability to reconcile all things to himself happens. So it's not just in the material. It's not just in the spiritual. It's also for you and I in the physical. Now, the scripture talks about, like, the, the bodies, the new heavens and the new earth that we'll all get to experience. He reconciles all things. 
things. And how does he do it? Whether on earth or in heaven, look at this, making peace by the blood of his cross. Oh, my goodness. All right. One time I went to Heaven's Gates, Hell's Flames. Okay. Have you guys ever seen that play? Oh, my goodness. Right? So you're, like, walking through, and the whole premise is um, hell's coming, and you need to be scared, and at the end, Satan's wearing a costume with a big tail, right? And so, like, the whole point is to scare people, okay? And so, you know, you go through this thing, and, and, you know, there's a car wreck scene, and someone should have told someone about Jesus, but because they didn't, now they're going to go to hell. And so you see them like, no, and there's, like, a big black figure, like, you know, scraping their leg away. And as a kid, if you see this thing, it wrecks your life, Right? Because you're like sitting there thinking it's real. You're like, is that really? Oh my goodness, what's happening? Mom, right? And you're like, you're calling the authorities. It, it's a horrible experience. So then you get to the end. And, and you see this like, this picture of hell. And you start wondering, like, is this, is it as horrific as what it seems? And I remember how vivid those memories are in my mind. And all of a sudden, I'm, I'm reminded of the power of that peace that comes in Christ. Like the torment that in reality is hell. That pre-Jesus, some of you have experienced here on earth. Complete confusion. Not knowing who you are. Being abused over and over. Zero purpose in life. Thoughts of suicide. The ways that you have experienced hell on earth. The scripture says that he's made peace. That he's taken all, listen, all the things that seem unfixable. If you've ever here had thoughts of suicide, then you know that in that moment, the thought is, there's nothing that can fix this. And in that precise moment, the power of what the cross of Christ has done is it offers peace to what seems like there's no way that anything can ever be made right. And you and I get to experience this here and now because of the cross of Christ. So that image of a cross on the person's shoulder as they held the the picket sign, right? The cross has kind of become the, the image of the body of Christ. But I'm wondering for you what it represents. I'm wondering for you even right now as you, as you think through the power of the cross and you think through the torment that you deserve, that I deserve, and you think through, listen to this, the eternal abuse that your sin should afford you and instead paint whatever image you want He, through his blood, brings peace with God. Listen, and I'm just being really vulnerable. If that doesn't in your heart do something, then I'm just challenging you right now. Like, is there any concept of the gospel in there? Next slide. David Garland says this about this work of all things. He says, sin has defaced Christ's work in creation, but he came to undo its consequences 
and to bring concord in a universe out of harmony with God. This is what reconciliation is. Next slide. So this is where we found ourselves. Uh, Next slide, if you can. This is where we found ourselves last week. If anyone is in Christ, he's a new creation. Really hunkered on this. Man, we're new in Jesus. Beautiful. But as we close tonight, here's where this text goes next in 2 Corinthians. Check this out. All this is from God, who through Christ reconciled us to himself, and look at this, gave us the ministry of reconciliation. What's your role in the church? What's the image of the body of Christ in the world? You've been given the ministry of reconciliation. So what does that mean? What is, what is that ministry? It's the ministry that gets to communicate to the world that peace can be made with God. It's the ministry that's not just with your words. It's the ministry that's with your life. It's the ministry that extends grace when it makes no sense. The ministry that receives forgiveness when it shouldn't be. That is the church here and now with the body of Christ represented with Christ as the head, we become the ministers of reconciliation. That is verse 19. In Christ, God was reconciling the world to himself, not counting their trespasses against them, praise God, and entrusting to us the message of reconciliation. The body of Christ has purpose. If you're ever wondering, like, what is my mission in life? Here it is. He's the head of the church. You in Christ are a part of the church. You've been reconciled. And now what? You've been given the ministry and message of reconciliation. Go. That's your life. Self-sacrifice, denying yourself, and forever living, bearing on your lips this message of peace that can be made through Christ to God. That's your life. If that doesn't seem exciting to you, then I'm telling you, you've misinterpreted what the church is. Because it's not just a gathering, it's not just an assembly, it's not just some high fives and claps and applauses, it's not just singing the same songs, it's not just wearing the stuff or or, or gathering in the building, it is bearing on our hearts and in our lives the message of reconciliation. That is the church. Now, that burdened me because I didn't see that growing up. I was a seven-year-old, literally seven years old, in my office of my pastor saying, why aren't we preaching this Bible? That conversation happened. Now, my Bible was a Gideon Bible at the time, and it was green, but I was still there. And I was like, why aren't we preaching from the Bible? Why are you reading Internet stories? I was like, my mom and dad are teaching me that the Bible is the truth, so why in the world are we trying to bank on your truth or your perspective? Teach us the Scripture. Verse 20 says, therefore, we are ambassadors for Christ. God making his appeal through us. We implore you on behalf of Christ, be reconciled to God. All right. Lastly, what would it look like tonight if some of those hurts from the past, some of the ways the church has wronged you, if able What if all of a sudden, after tonight, you sought out that pastor that hurt you? What if all of a sudden you sought out that person who completely wronged you? What if you sought out those people who gossiped about you, who isolated you, who even said through their actions, we hate you? And what if... Because of the perspective of reconciliation that you have and what Christ has done in your life, what if on your lips and in your life, you just said the words, I forgive you? 
And in your heart, you knew that what you were saying is, you have ruined, and because of my own sin, ruined years worth of perspective of the church, but that won't happen anymore. He's the head, and I can't disconnect the two any longer. I forgive you. What if um, that happened here? Um, Some of you today have gossiped about the same people that are sitting in the same row as you. Some of you sent texts to friends talking about the person that you're sitting next to right now. What if tonight, all chips on the table, what if you went to them and said, listen, we're part of the same body and we have on our lips the message of reconciliation, the message of grace and forgiveness, the message of, listen, we've been saved, we've been bought at a price. Here's what I did today. Will you journey with it through me? Will you forgive me? We're in the same body. And praise God, it's not banking on you and I's righteousness. He's a great chief shepherd. That's the church that not just we want, but that we have in Christ. Are you with me? That's what we have. And that's the message and the ministry that he's called us to. So I'm wondering tonight if what God's even doing in your heart right now is he's reconnecting head and body and he's giving you a renewed understanding and therefore love of the body of Christ worldwide. That means while you're here in this local body, whether it be Matthias or another body, let's go. Let's grow together and serve together and enjoy one another's uh, company and celebrate the family that we have. And again, if it not be here, then go find another church. This isn't a worship service. This is a local body of Christ seeking to serve and love a community. So that's why tonight, guys, we're, we're gonna celebrate. We're gonna celebrate the church. We're gonna celebrate the body of Christ. All of its brokenness, all of its errors, all of the hurts that you and I have experienced, we're gonna celebrate the fact that we have an amazing chief shepherd. And so tonight, I've asked our leaders who lead lot families in their homes every single week. I've asked these men to come and tonight share in this meal, lead in this meal, um, shepherd this meal for us. And so leaders, why don't you guys come on up And these leaders are going to hold this this bread in front of you tonight. And what this bread represents is the broken body of Christ. This broken body representing peace. Only by Christ, only through the blood. So as these leaders hold this in front of you, just take off a piece of this bread. And then in front of you, they're going to hold this cup. And this cup represents the blood of the new covenant, Jesus tells the disciples. And as you take a piece of this bread and you dip it in the cup, this is your celebration of your participation in the body of Christ. You've been reconciled. God sees you now as his kid. It's not something now you have to work towards. Jesus did the work. Now you get to live in freedom in light of it as one who's been healed and saved and redeemed. So listen, tonight, 
maybe for the first time in a long time for you, in all of her brokenness, the bride is what he's coming back for. So tonight, let's celebrate the work of Christ as the head of the church. Respond when you're ready, church.